Hi, I'm Carl Fielder, and this is not another empty suit. So Thomas, thank you so much for joining me today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Well, good morning. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, my name is Thomas Edelman, and I'm the managing director and founder of Road Safety UAE. And you've been in the UAE for a while now. Yeah, for 19 years. Yeah, oh so God. we came in the in the year 2000 so to a different Dubai. Yeah, uh, a lot happened since then, of course. Exciting times, up and downs. Uh, so we're getting used to the waves of the Middle East. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's all about riding those waves and and uh, being true to yourself, being true to your to your passion, and, and just trying to add value as, as much as as we can. But I think since you've been here, you've made a major difference to road safety here. I mean, that's been your primary focus, hasn't it? Yeah, well, for the for the first ten years of being here in the UAE, I've been uh, working for a big um, corporation, and I, I just felt I wanted to do more. I wanted to give back because so many people here in this country they are they are coming, uh, they're a little bit selfish. They're here to fill their pockets and to to, to leave the country again. Uh, so at one point in time, I said, no, this is not me. This is not enough. I wanted to to give back, and and having been uh, or having lived here for for nineteen years, more than nineteen years now. Um, road safety was always very, very close to my heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I observed a lot of misbehavior on the roads. In the year 2000, when we came, our son Oliver, he was a small shrimp, so he was not even five years old. Of course, as caring parents, we were very concerned about him. And, and back then already, road safety was, was very, very on the radar screen for us. So we mm -hmm. bought, for example, the biggest car we can buy mm -hmm. um, just to protect Oliver. Of course, we, we installed a state-of-the-art child seat just to protect him. But I was always pregnant with the idea of, of doing something about road safety. And, and um, about six years ago, we started, actually. Uh, so we, we gave birth to Road Safety UAE, and uh, it was a very exciting uh, journey. We get a lot of support from uh, from governmental entities like Ministry of Interior, uh, Police, uh, DOT, RTA, um, just to name a few. We get a lot, a lot of support from the leading media uh, in in the UAE and in the region because everybody wants to support safer roads. Mm. Everybody has something to say. Everybody has something to when contribute. You said you came here and you bought a really big car, the biggest one you could find. Do you think that makes people drive worse? because they think that they're, they're never going to have a crash because they're in a big car? Um, I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's a misconception uh, to a certain degree. I, 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 I totally agree to that. I'm driving right now a much smaller car. But back then, uh, for me, it was really all about the safety aspect. Yeah? So if we wanted to have as much metal around us as possible and as much metal around our beloved son, uh, as possible. So that's the reason why back then we went for for the biggest possible car that With we With probably the biggest engine and the most carbon footprint. The biggest gas gas, gas guzzler that you could that you could think about. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But over the time you've been here you must have seen a huge change in the people's attitudes towards gas guzzlers. I mean do you think in the UAE they're starting a while ago, starting last week, are they, are they starting to realize that you can't just keep polluting the environment and hope that it's somebody else's problem. I think it's a it's a bigger movement. I think there is certainly a move towards uh, sustainability. You see a lot of sustainability uh, events. You see sustainability awards. Yeah, you see companies that dedicated solely to the purpose of sustainability. Um, the media is reporting very very much about sustainability. Uh, and may, don't don't forget, road safety is also part of sustainability. Also, according to the UN, they have two dedicated topics uh, under their sustainability umbrella, which are dedicated to, to road safety. 
Um, so sustainability overall is getting uh, more and more attention for the right reasons. And I think as a consequence, uh, people are getting more and more conscious about their water consumption. They are getting more conscious about their electricity consumption. They are more conscious about which vehicles are we driving, what is our CO2 footprint. So I think the, the, the country and the key stakeholders in the country, they are doing a lot and we are going in the right direction. Do you see a commitment to net zero anytime soon? Um, when I'm attending conferences, and we had this little chat before, when I'm attending conferences, there is a lot of, of lip service, I think, and, and many people are really getting carried away with, um, with the future of EV, with the future of autonomous driving, just to, to speak in, in, in road safety terms about things. And, and, and um, yes, there will be more EVs on the roads, there will be more hybrid vehicles on the road, uh, there will be hopefully also more vehicles on the road um, um, being fueled by, by neutral fuels and, 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 and similar concepts. But we, we have to be realistic, we have to be realistic in the sense of there are future future solutions and there are, as I call it, near future solutions. Uh, I was just very fortunate to speak recently at the Sustainable Transportation uh, conference, conference in the UAE. And, and I, I, I like to start my speeches to ask the, audit, the, the audience to say, well, okay, we just listened to EV, we listened to autonomous driving. So who in the room came today with, the, with an EV vehicle? Yeah. And you know, zero hands. But I'm the only one in this building that has an electric car. Fantastic. The whole building. We have 21 floors, yeah. and I'm the only one with an electric car. It's Fantastic. crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but but why? Yeah. Well, I think I think there are a couple of um, of reasons, and uh, and um, again, it's uh, we are on the on the on the right uh, trajectory, so to say. So we're going in the right direction. I'm very close to a lot of OEMs, to a lot of uh, of car manufacturers, and all of them are working full steam on on introducing EVs. Um, we are at different levels uh, of, uh, of um, uh, market penetration or market readiness, so to say. We do have EVs in the market already. The Chevy Bolt, just to, to, to name one, uh, is, is readily available. It's also one of the ugliest cars I've ever seen in my life. And most of the EVs, I, I take you to task actually, because you have more to do with the car manufacturers than I do. But when they launch a new EV, they seem to bring in, I don't know, somebody who went to a different design school and say, design a really ugly car that nobody wants to, to buy, and then we'll put an electric motor in it. <laughs> where, where are all the beautiful cars out there? I mean, think about BMW. I mean, if you look at their i3, that is a car even my children won't drive. They want an electric car, but they said, not that thing, it's just ugly. Why not make it beautiful like the 5 Series, the 7 Series, the 3, any of the beautiful cars that they create? Well, I think, again, it's a journey. I, at, the, at this mentioned conference, um, uh, Porsche, they displayed uh, their EV, which is a stunner. It's just a beautiful, beautiful car. I personally also like uh, vehicles like, te like, like Tesla. So just from an, from an uh, experience standpoint, when you look at the Tesla from the outside, from the inside, I think they are beautiful cars. But I think it's, it's going beyond beauty. It's really about commitment. I, I think people might not even care about, is this an ugly vehicle, is it a beautiful vehicle? Of course, there's nothing wrong if the vehicle is beautiful as well. But I think we're really talking to those people who, who have the right mindset, who say, you know what? Yes, I really want to be uh, neutral. I want to contribute uh, to, a, to a cleaner environment, to a better environment. I want to, uh, to live in a more sustainable manner. I mean, I go shopping with a big ugly 
jute bag. Yeah, maybe a plastic bag it looks nice. I don't care. I'm, I'm just committed to the to the to the to the fact that they are using a recyclable bag is is much more uh, sustainable than using plastic bags. So I think it's um, design. Of course, it would be nice if we have all beautifully designed cars. In my opinion, we have a couple, maybe not all of them, uh, but it's it's more about really the essence of it. I think they have to take choice away from the consumer. I mean, basically, when you go in to buy your new Volkswagen, there should be a petrol, a diesel, and an electric. They should be the same model, should have the same level of trim, and you should just decide which engine you want in there, whether it's an electric, petrol, or a, a diesel. And I really don't think that the car industry is working hard on this. I think that they are running scared. I think Tesla and a couple of the other new startups has really frightened them. I also think, with my Tesla, that my service intervals are three times what the normal service intervals are on a petrol car, so they're not going to make any money out of me on servicing the car. Mm. So where is the traditional car industry going to go without the service money? Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, it's, um, it's really like a, a, a big shift for the, for the automotive industry overall, but ultimately we are dictating, the consumers are dictating. So if we want EVs, with all the benefits and maybe the, also the, the negative consequences, if there are any. So I think the industry will, uh, will follow. And we see very encouraging signs. Um, at this mentioned conference, um, there was a lady speaking from, from Norway. And Norway being uh, the, the leading country in terms of EV. And, and she gave a full rundown of why EVs are so successful in, in, in Norway. And it was, it was a fantastic presentation. And uh, she also showcased, for example, a test where they took all the, um, the existing EV uh, cars available in Norway to a, to a road test. And they were measuring their, their, uh, their range. Mm -hmm. So manufacturer says, this is the range, so what is, what is uh, reality? And the good news was that basically nobody was, uh, was sandbagging. So it was really about yeah, when Volkswagen said, this is our range, so the vehicle went about this mileage. Um, and, and it was very, very exciting. Um, to, to, to see what's happening in, in advanced countries. But again, the infrastructure is right there. So the entire uh, setup from a legal standpoint, from a taxation standpoint, from an incentive standpoint, from an education standpoint is there. And I think it's very, very encouraging to see that because ultimately, again, the consumer then has the choice between you know, a diesel-powered engine, a gasoline-powered engine, or EV. And, and the majority of new cars is now already EV, which is fantastic. So I have it to does say, work. I'm doing my bit to educate people. Every time I pull up next to a Porsche at the traffic lights, and he looks over and he sees the Tesla logo, and he thinks, ah, oh, electric car, what a waste of space. And when he sees me somewhere in the distance a couple of seconds later, I think I'm educating them a little bit. But I wanted to come back to something else that you were talking about, the intersection between road safety and autonomous vehicles. You said you go to a lot of conferences and people talk about autonomous vehicles and yet none of them has actually come there in one. Well, I have semi-autonomous mode on my Tesla and I can tell you it's the most dangerous thing I've ever seen in my life. First of all, it gives you a full sense of security. So I put it into semi-autonomous mode and it says, okay, I'm going to keep you within the lanes of the motorway. Well, it does keep me within the lanes, but unfortunately, everybody else on the road doesn't stick within the lanes. They're doing their mobile texting, they're shouting at the kids in the back, they're eating sandwiches, whatever they're doing, they're wandering. So although my car's staying straight in the middle of the road, 
the people all around me are actually wandering, and if you're a human driving the vehicle, you actually have to take account of that. Now, my car does know where all those other cars are, but it doesn't know what to do with the fact that they are wandering. It also records weird incidences, and every time when I get home, it links up to my home Wi-Fi and uploads to Tesla weird things that have happened. But honestly, in California, there can't be many gardeners on bicycles cycling the <laughs> wrong way down the fast lane of a motorway, but we have that here. Yeah. And this is my point, is that yeah. autonomous vehicles are a fantastic concept, and people are getting very excited about them because there's loads of technology, mm -hmm. and there's loads of money to be made out of it. But having actually driven in a semi-autonomous mode, I'm very happy that I'm in control. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I, I understand uh, what, what you're saying. I, I clearly hear you. The thing is, um, we, have to, we have to, again, think about, you know, where we are today and where we want to be. Yeah, so in the future world where all the vehicles are driving in an autonomous mode, it will be fantastic. But the big question uh, the industry also tries to, 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 to answer or to find answers to is, so how do we, how do we manage the transition? Uh, so how does a maybe even a fully autonomous vehicle interact with a with a totally non uh, autonomous vehicle and and also from a legal standpoint so what happens if if uh, there are crashes what what happens if there are incidents so whose fault is it etc so there are a lot of, of, of questions to to be to be overcome but from a pure road safety perspective and again uh, we are road safety UE from a pure road safety perspective uh, all the different degrees uh, of, of driver uh, assistance measures, they will help us. And, um, and there's, for example, one thing, and, and we love to talk about uh, the near future. We don't only want to talk about the future future, but, but when we think about the near future, technology and certain elements of autonomous driving and assisted driving can, can help us dramatically. So, for example, what's very close to our heart is the safety of minibuses, of vans. We have just seen a couple of accidents. In one accident, about seven or eight people died a couple of weeks ago. And when you look at the minivans and what is allowed right now to be on the roads, um, it is, from our point of view, totally suboptimal because there's, for example, no automated braking system in place. There is, there is no distance warning in place. There is no lane uh, departure prevention mechanism in place. And all of these technologies, uh, and we're not talking about fully automated vehicles, but all of these technologies, they are available right now. And we are also at this conference where I spoke recently, I also held up uh, the flag and actually I spoke at two conferences, also another, uh, another one from the Ministry of Interior. And we said, guys, how can we allow these vehicles to be on the roads? Yeah, why we have technology today we can implement very, very quickly um, to, to, to help better the situation. So very often we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, which vehicles are we driving? How can we overcome that? Then who is driving those vehicles? So for example, how can we better educate um, the drivers and how can we, for example, again, the example of minibuses, of, of vans, um, maybe we have to have a special license for these guys. But yeah? it's quite possible the government can do this. I mean, they put seat belts in for school buses and this was simply an edict, you will do it. Absolutely. So, and that's, that's the reason we're very, very hopeful. I mean, we lobbied recently for the introduction of the holistic seatbelt law, and, and we were one of the voices. And, and uh, 1st of July 2017 witnessed the introduction of, of the holistic seatbelt law, which was not there before. So the government has big ears, they have big eyes, they observe, they listen, and they implement the right things. I have to ask you this question. I mean, I've been in Dubai for 10 years now, and I've seen, maybe because I have the, the chance to look on the internet, but I've seen what happens if you have a baby on your lap 
and you think that wrapping your hands around them like this is going to protect them. Or you have your seatbelt on, or you don't have your seatbelt on. The way that the baby gets crushed when they're just sitting on your lap. How, when people love their children here as much as they love kids, how <laughs> can they still allow the children to roam around inside the car? I'm driving past the car, and there's a kid climbing from the front to the back, waving at everybody. How does that happen? It's education. It's, it's, again, it's, it's very, very basic education. Um, we do a lot of research in that space. And at the beginning of 2017, um, this was just about uh, six months before the introduction of the holistic seatbelt law, we did a series of research um, projects and we, we went uh, broadly uh, to the media and the media covered us very, very nicely. So we raised our voice to the maximum extent uh, to exactly address things like that. Uh, and, and, and we asked people, we asked people, so um, do you think seatbelts uh, improve, uh, improve safety? Um, yeah? And people say yes, so people understand the concept. And then we asked people, so but when you're driving, are you always using the seatbelt? 78% say, only 78% say yes. The person on the, on the, on the, on the, on the co-driver's seat, 72%. Should be 100%. People in the back, what, what's your guess? 50? 11%. 11% said, yes, we always buckle up. So we did that for the adult seg segment, but we also did it for, for children. So we went to people and we said, so do you have children that would need uh, uh, car seats? Yeah, people said, yes. To what extent do you think people actually also say, yes, I do have a child seat? It's about 70%. So 30%, they just don't have child seats in place. Uh, but when I bought my new Jaguar from the local dealership here, it came with a seatbelt warning sign on the dashboard and a very annoying ping, 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 ping. This was a long time ago before I bought the Tesla. But it also came with a little metal stainless steel clip, which was to spoof the seatbelt sensor into thinking that I'd put the seatbelt on, that was delivered by the guys delivering the car. They actually had a way of overriding the seatbelt sensor so that my shirt didn't get crumpled or whatever. But uh, madness. Mm, it is, it is mad. And again, but it, it, it's about understanding why people behave in a certain manner. Like when we did this piece of research, so we, we, asked, we asked people, and we said, oh, okay, so now, now we understand, you know, a third of you, you don't have child seats. Tell us, why do you not have child seats? Yeah? And then you have all kind of, 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 of crazy, from our point of view, crazy answer where people say, you know what, child seats are too expensive. Yeah? <laughs> and you know what, I don't know where to buy them and what is the proper child seat. Yeah? And you know, my kids don't like to be strapped in. So these are the top three mentions yeah. there. And again, we have to work um, with, the uh, with the concerned stakeholders to overcome that. It's about educating, because as you said right, uh, rightly, everybody loves the children. It is very simple and our credo is if you love your child, buckle them up. So this is actually where I wanted to get to about a question of messaging. So you had a big challenge here and in many other countries where people don't want to wear seatbelts because they're uncomfortable, they don't like them, the children don't want to wear them, whatever reason. But if you don't wear a seatbelt and you have an accident, you're definitely going to be in worse situation than if you did have a seatbelt on. And in many cases, you're simply going to die. Now, the simple message should be, in, in sort of my text, wear a seatbelt or die. Now, people don't like that because it's alarmist. And this is where we've got to with climate change. Can we please all aim at net zero or we're all going to die? 
And that's sort of the message that's coming from Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg, and all the rest of the, the media encompassing this. And of course, the subtlety is, we're not all going to die. Our world is going to change. It's a bit like, I'm going to be in a worse situation going through the windscreen than if I was wearing a seatbelt. So how do we change the climate change messaging so that people don't see us as crazies, but actually do take notice and do start wearing the equivalent of a seatbelt? Yeah. Well, I think overall it's, um, it's again a topic of education. And, and uh, I was just reading an article in an Austrian online newspaper uh, yesterday evening and there was just a climate conference where many people are super disappointed about the very, very, very weak level of commitment even on a, on a, on a state level. So there are a couple, I think they mentioned four big uh, nations, four big states in particular, um, who should have uh, actually done the opposite of what they, what they have been doing. And um, they also put a picture there of a, of a demonstration. And one of the ladies, she held like a, a, a cartoon board sign and it just says, uh, as little as we might think we are, every one of us can make a difference. And I think this is it. And it's, about, it's not about waiting for, for maybe the big decision makers to do what is right. They will do it sooner or later. But again, the power resides with us, with the consumers, with the individuals. And it's all about our behavior. And I think it's all about, um, you know, being also true to ourselves. So could I do better, then why don't I do it? So do I have the power? And I've, for example, I hate plastic. I hate plastic bags. Uh, like we, have, we just did our ki kitchen renovation on, uh, over the weekend with the contractors and they sent me to buy new uh, lamps. So I stumbled out of a very well-known retailer with a stack of, of seven of those lamps. Uh, and, and the guy said, but sir, sir, you don't, want, you don't want a bag? I said, no, I don't want a bag, yeah? I mean, it's 10 meters to my car. I can manage, and you know what? I did manage. So it's all about, you know, um, it's all about education and being true to yourself. Yes, of course, it would have been easier to go just with a big plastic bag, but I didn't want to. So I think it's, it's again, the power resides with us and it, the power resides with the, with the small individuals. And every one of us can make a difference and every one of us should make a difference. Thomas, on that, I want to say thank you very much. And thank you for all the great work you're doing with road safety. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Thank nice you. working with you. Thank you.